And open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah in chapter number 31. Isaiah chapter number 31. I believe that choir song one of the, is a Higginbotham, right? I told, I was teaching the new members class this morning, looking at all the staff and what they do, and I told them how much I hated Kevin Higginbotham. <laughs> there you go. You can write a song like that, play the piano, preach, whatever. I hate him. That was a blessing, great song. Now that I said I hated him, it was a blessing. <laughs> Isaiah 31. <clears throat> First three verses, I want to read those. You follow along. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Yet, he also is wise and will bring evil and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. Now, the Egyptians are men and not God. And their horses, flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall and he that is hoping shall fall down. They all shall fail together. Woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help. Title this message, only one title. I can't come up with two titles. I'm sorry. Just the one. Who is your 911? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful to be in your house. Would you speak to our hearts through your word? May we listen, may we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you kept up lately with hearing on the news about the, you're not supposed to say dumb from the pulpit, the totally dumb Reasons that people call 911. Have you heard any of those? Like, there's no more McNuggets. Well, I'm getting 911 on the phone. Or they didn't have the right sauce. Well, I'm calling 911. Did you hear the one about the, the kid called 911 because he couldn't do his math homework? And the lady helped him, so that was very nice. I heard about one that a lady on, on uh, Thanksgiving morning, there, she's, there she was with her raw turkey, didn't know what to do. Well, of course you call 911. I need help cooking my turkey. I mean, people call 911 for some of the craziest reasons. Sometimes I get to ride around with cops. You may or may not be shocked at the reasons People will call 911 to come to their home because their boy won't get out of bed, etc. 
Do you remember? I, I do. I remember what things were like before 911 was a thing nationwide, the way it is now. And then I remember some of you don't know what this is, but back in the day, now I'm aging myself, there was a phone on the wall in the kitchen. And it had this thing that went around and around. And before there was 911, you post your mother, who was very conscientious, would somehow put on that phone or near that phone the numbers you would dial in case of an emergency. Depending on your emergency, you had fire and you had police and you had ambulance and they all had different numbers and you could run to the phone, no doubt, in, in a state of great agitation, uh, you would have no problem picking out the right number and on a rotary phone, Dial. Now, you remember what it's like to have a rotary phone. If you had a friend and their number had a zero or two in it, you said, never mind. I don't want to dial your number. Inevitably, you'd get halfway through and mess up and have to start over, remember? Most of you or a lot of you don't know what it was like before... Uh, 911 or what a rotary phone is. Hey, did you see the video where they gave those kids the phone and told them to make a phone call? They didn't have a, how to work a what I consider a regular phone. But 911, just that, that phrase has become so ingrained in our culture, it's a part of our vernacular. If your wife breaks a nail... You know what, man, you'll say, well, we'll call 911. If something happens, if, if something's not going well, you know, you might throw out there, we'll call 911. You remember, there's another, do you remember? They had these things called beepers. And you would tell your wife, now, if it's really important, put 911 on there before you put your number. And even kindergartners, we teach them now if something bad happens, you go to the phone and you dial 911 and somebody will help you. And all of us have heard, no doubt, on news and different things, we've heard tapes played of people calling 911 and sometimes frantic. If you heard of 911 call where a, a husband is about to deliver his child and he's calling 911 and the, and the dispatcher on the other end walks him through the miracle of birth. He doesn't know what else to do but call 911. And sometimes those calls end in tragedy. We've all heard those. Anyone in this room, anyone in this room, if you... Something went down automatically. You wouldn't have to think about it. You'd pull out your phone. You'd call 911. And maybe you've had to. Maybe there have been a time or two where there was an emergency or you observed an emergency and you were thankful that right now in the United States of America, wherever you are, you can dial 911 and you'll get a hold of somebody to help you in an emergency. Man, what a concept that was and what a blessing and a help that's been. But here's the million dollar question. If you're faced with a crisis, some kind of any kind, 
And not the kind where you can pull out your phone, call 911, and immediately have somebody help you. But when you're faced with something that's beyond 911, so who do you, who's your first call? Who's your first choice when you, things are bad or where are you going to go when you need answers that are hard to come by or when life is tough and things are hard and there's some difficulty, there's some, there's some tragedy, there's something that's come up and you're not sure what to do or where to turn and you're not sure what to do next or what step to take and you're really searching who's going to be at that point in your life, your 911. As we're reading Isaiah here in chapter 31, you're reading a man who's prophesying to God's people in Judah. And they're at a, this stage in their history. Uh, it's critical time. The spiritual decline uh, in the nation right now is, is really, it's bad. There's political uh, upheaval. The Assyrians, the enemy, the Assyrians are, are knocking on their door. It's possible that, that they may have to have a fight with the Assyrians. In fact, very soon uh, after Isaiah is prophesying, they're going to go into captivity, into exile. And as you know, if you read the Old Testament Israel and Judah many times forsook God. And maybe through the book of Judges, you remember, they would turn their back on God and then things got rough and they'd call 911. They want to get a hold of God again. And God would answer. And he'd send, he'd send a judge, he'd send a, he'd send a Samson, or he would send a Othniel, or he would send one of those great men or women of God, and they would come and he would help them. But now as we're, Isaiah is, he's prophesying as he's, as he's talking to God's people, he's saying, at this point, you're not even turning to God. Things are getting rough and you're not sure what to do and, and the Assyrians are breathing down your neck and there's all kinds of upheaval and there's all kinds of issues and you're scared and you're not sure where to go. And rather, listen, rather than call me, woe unto them that go to Egypt for help. Now God's not even on their radar. Now when things are difficult and things are looking bad, God's not even in their thoughts. They're not even acknowledging that they have at their, listen, they have at their fingertips a holy, righteous, all-powerful God. They're not even acknowledging that. In fact, in chapter number 30, if you want to look over in chapter number 30, Verse number one and two. <clears throat> Look what it says. Chapter 30, verse one and two. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me. And that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk 
to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Listen, when their crisis was coming, when it's as difficult as life could possibly get, rather than turn to God, rather than turn to the Holy One of Israel, rather than turn to the one who has the power and the strength and the might to deliver, woe to them that go down to Egypt. And can I tell you, God was offended. When they did not turn to him, he was offended. Now, why would Egypt, this godless nation, why would Egypt be the place they would turn? Why would 911, why would their 911 call go right to Pharaoh? And according to verse number one, they had some reasons why I'm going to turn to Pharaoh and I'm going to turn to Egypt rather than God. And look what they are in verse number one. Well, they have horses. Big, strong horses. Not only do they have horses, but those horses are pulling chariots. And those chariots have in them soldiers. And they don't have just a few, but they've got a bunch of them. And they're not just a bunch of ordinary soldiers. These are strong, fighting men of Egypt. Think about it. We have a crisis. We have an emergency. The Assyrians are breathing down our neck. It could be possible that we would go into captivity. We would lose. We need some help. And it needs to be a strong, powerful force. Look at those horses. Look at all them chariots. Look at those soldiers they have. Man, oh man, when you're in a problem, hey, when I'm in a fight, I tell you who I'm looking for. Biggest dog on the block, that's the one I want. They looked around, and sure enough, the Egyptians, they're powerful. The Egyptians, they're strong. The Egyptians have horses, they have soldiers, they can be depended on in a time of need. They had the answers, they will deliver, they'll never let us down. Woe unto them that go down to Egypt. Now we'll just stop before we really get any farther and say this, listen, things as far as our relationship to God, his people, things haven't really changed that much because there's been times in your life and times in my life when I was going to make a 911. When something came my way I wasn't ready for, I wasn't expecting, when life was about to get difficult, where there was some crisis, things hadn't gone the way I hoped or the way I planned, and too many times, maybe it's just me, I've sought answers and help and strength and guidance and wisdom from someplace other than God. Have you not? Have you not called 911, but it wasn't, you weren't trying to reach God? You were finding an answer somewhere else. Woe unto them, he said, that go down to Egypt. I was thinking about it, thinking about this passage, thinking about what it represents, what it means to you and I. And I'm going to put these 
crises that sometimes you and I face, these 911 calls that we might make into four different categories. Here they are. Number one, when we need answers to life's questions. Number two, when we are searching for happiness. Number three, when we need help in times of trouble. And then lastly, number four, when we are needing true peace. Those four. Look at number one. When we're really needing answers to life's questions and don't they come up all the time? Why did this happen? And why did this happen to me? And why did this happen to this person who I love and who is good and who is kind and who loves Jesus and not happen to that person who is not good and who is not kind and who is, does not love Jesus? And why that person and not that person? And if you've never been faced with those questions or wondered, well, let me tell you, something's going to come your way someday and you're going to ask yourself that. You're going to wonder, why did it go this way? Why did it happen that way? Why did God allow this? And why didn't it go this direction? And why was my prayer not answered? And why did that person die and that person live? I'm telling you, those are just the kind of questions that come our way. It's not unusual. And the world, Egypt, you know what I'm saying? Egypt, the world system has answers for those questions. Just go to the bookstore. Oh, there's a whole section called self-help. Just think of that term. If I wanted self-help, I'd help myself. <laughs> On self-help, and there's tapes, and there's seminars, and there's TV shows, and there's radio personalities, and there's people you can call for all kinds of conceivable problems that you may have that will have all manner of questions or answers, and there's psychic readers who will, who will look into your palm and your wallet at the same time. And you can go see a psychiatrist and he'll blame your mother for only $100 an hour. And you can get educated and you can get degrees from all the most prestigious universities. And you can study all the greatest thinkers and writers and all the greatest minds of history. You can pursue religions. Think of all of the isms and religions that exist in this world that seek to give answers to all the issues that we may possibly run across. You can, you can study Kabbalah. You can study Scientology and Islam and all kinds of Eastern mysticism. And every year, no doubt, some new religious system is going to pop up. And all the questions of life are going to be answered right there. Listen to what the definition of Scientology. Are you, are you familiar with Scientology? A lot of of uh, celebrities are into Scientology or Dianetics, they call it. Listen to what they say about themselves. Before Dianetics, the world did not have a precise and workable means to resolve problems of the mind. Think of that. Before Dianetics, before Scientology, we had no way to work out our problems. Man, I'm glad it showed up. Then it says this, into the dark age, like a bolt from the blue, came the publication of Dianetics, modern science of mental health. Man, and they are smart. They believe aliens threw pods into the volcanoes and they spewed out human beings. These guys are smart. Wow. Let's face it, there's no shortage of opinions. 
to all the questions that you could possibly ask. Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Is there life after death? You could have no trouble finding an answer to the question, the one that maybe best fits the way you want to think. Google this. Isn't that a new phrase now? Google. Google this. What's the meaning of life? Oh, oh, you'll have a good time chasing that one. Here you go. I I, I print out some of the popular ones. Here's the meaning of life. To live every day as it is your last and do your best at everything that comes your way. To be always satisfied, to accumulate wealth and increase social status, to survive or reproduce, to participate in natural human evolution, or to contribute to the gene pool of the human race, to advance technological evolution, to actively develop the future of intelligent life, to complete or cooperate with others, to destroy others who harm you, or to practice nonviolence and non-resistance. Those do not go together. To die having succeeded in your purpose. To gain and exercise power. To leave a legacy such as a work of art or a book. To live. To prepare for death. To produce offspring. To pursue a dream, vision, or destiny. To seek freedom either physically, mentally, or financially. To seek happiness and flourish. Experience pleasure or celebrate. To complete your list of life goals. To find something to believe in. To be a part of history. Wow. Where do you go when you need answers? Where do you go personally when you have questions? Jeremiah put it this way. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. If you know him this morning, you have more answers than all the greatest minds to have ever lived. If you know him this morning, you have more than all the universities and the degrees they could possibly impart. If you know him this morning, you know more than all the world's scholars and philosophers and scientists and geniuses combined. Because you know the one who hung the planets in space. And you know the one who spoke the worlds into existence. And you know who the one the Bible said who measured the seas in the palm of his hand. And took clay and made the very first man. The one who holds the universes together. You, listen, you personally know the Alpha and the Omega. Why would I need to call anyone else? Why when the questions come, and I'm not saying they won't come. Why when the questions come, would I listen to any other voices but his? Why would I seek Answers in some ism, some philosopher, some writer, some thinker, some speaker, someone with a YouTube channel or someone who writes and everybody listens to and who can really have a way with words. You've got to listen to this guy. No, there's no woe to them that go down to Egypt. How about number two, when you're seeking, searching for happiness? Let's face it. We live in a culture American culture and part of American culture and it's in our founding, is it not, the pursuit of happiness. And finding happiness has seen, it has become an all-consuming passion for people and 
we then have taken this pursuit of happiness that our founders put in our founding documents and then have turned that to mean this. I get to do, it's my right, whatever it takes to make me happy. Now, if there's one thing the world is really good at, that is, that is leading people to a version of happiness. They're good at that. You know, you can hire a life coach. You ever heard of such thing? You can hire one. He'll coach you to happiness. You can read the power of positive thinking and think your way to happiness. There's all kinds of little cliches and philosophies that have been running around for a long time. And if you think about them, they'll lead to happiness. For instance, don't worry, be happy. If it feels good, do it. Remember that? Go for the gusto. Learn to love yourself. That's what we need more of. Do your own thing. When life hands you lemons, make lemonade. Or I like this one. When life hands you lemons, throw them at the one who's making you unhappy. That one's better. <laughs> Think of it. You can search for happiness in so many different ways. You can try to have Happiness through wealth, stuff, and more money. I don't know about you, but I've observed those who have all that money offers. Boy, happiness hasn't always been their, what characterizes their life. But you can try it with wealth or power or sin, the sins of the flesh and of the world. If there's one thing the world wants to do, it's keep you happy. But Jesus, can I tell you, offers a happiness that's it's different, it's real, it's true. Because we say happiness means the absence of pain or the absence of any tribulation or problem. Uh, that's the world's definition of happiness. But we could point right now, and you know some, some people maybe right in this room who aren't absent of pain, who aren't absent of tribulation. In fact, who are going through some difficult circumstances with health or with family or with difficult certain times. And they're some of the happiest people you'll meet. It's not granting of all your dreams and all your wishes and all your wants. I'm telling you, that's the world's definition of happiness. And if you're listening to a preacher on television or anywhere else who says that's part of what Jesus wants for you, you're listening to the wrong guy. That's Egypt. God gives real joy. In John 15, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and your joy might be full. Think about this. You ever been to Walmart lately? Unfortunately, I occasionally have to go. I, every time I go to Walmart, I think this one thing. There's nothing that cannot be purchased at Walmart. Is there? I don't think so. I mean, they have everything, but you can't buy happiness there. The joy he gives can't be gained through reading all the best known offers. The joy he gives isn't found because some dead religion or some ism or some 
thing that seems alive even. It's not found there. The joy he gives can't be drummed up because I'm going to uh, think positive or I'm going to meditate or I'm going to have some self-inspection. No, the joy he gives his children who really genuinely seek him, he can be found in his joy. Woe unto them to go to Egypt because his joy is not in Egypt. And the answers to your questions aren't there either. And number three, what about it when I'm in trouble? What about help when I'm in trouble? Did you know bad things happen? Not just to bad people. Bad things happen to the just and it happens to the wicked. The rain falls on both. And it's strange sometimes when we're in trouble, what we do. Instead of going straight to him and his offer to cast our care, instead of going straight to him with our troubles and cares, we want to go other places for comfort. We want to go to Egypt. After all, in our minds, we think, well, God is okay for some things. I mean, I can go to God for this and that, and his word is sufficient for some things. But Brother Ted, this is real life I'm living. And I know he gives his word, and I know he says this and he says that, but Brother Ted, the test came back. It wasn't good. And my marriage, Brother Ted, it's got a problem, and my children are rebellious, and my job, I might be losing it. And I went to the gas pump the other day, And I'm going bankrupt and this problem's coming my way and this thing happened. And I don't know that God can handle that. The story goes that a lady once asked her pastor. Pastor, can I go to God with my big troubles and my little troubles? And the pastor said, think of this. To God, they're all little. So what does the world offer when I've got trouble? Well, I can have some good cliches like every cloud has a silver lining. Things will look better in the morning. When the going gets tough, words that really mean very little when you're facing a storm. False hope for a better tomorrow. Trusting in yourself and your own ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and keep on going. But God offers real peace when we take our burdens to him. Amen. Real answers in time of need when I seek him through his word. Real comfort when I'm in distress, when I meditate on him and how much he loves me. And real help when I can't see the final outcome because I know I can trust him. Because he always does what's best. The psalmist put it this way. For who is our God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect and maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon high places. When the trouble comes, woe unto them that go down to Egypt because our help is in the Lord. I look unto the hills. This last one. What about peace? Now, peace is one thing the world has trouble with. 
They have trouble with giving or maintaining peace. There's never been peace among nations. All of history is full of nations who have battled constantly. There isn't right now. There probably will never be in the future. There's always some unrest somewhere. There's always some political upheaval somewhere. There's always leaders somewhere threaten each other. War is usually on the horizon, even with the United Nations. It's going to lead us into a generation of peace. So far, they haven't done it. Have we not watched the news even very recently and young people would riot and hold up signs demanding peace as they threw rocks and bottles. It seems the world can only provide peace when it's chemically produced. And the troubles and worries keep you awake at night? Well, we got an answer for that. Take two of these. Anxiety, depression? Well, we got a prescription for that. No peace? Well, you can go down to the store and buy a bottle or at one of the 530 dispensaries in Oklahoma City. I looked it up. Three times as many as Denver, Colorado. So peace is all on every corner, isn't it? Maybe peace, Brother Ted, I have found peace in meditation. And I sit on the floor cross-legged. Oh, I can't. Sorry. Of all people, when we're in distress, which is real, and anxiety, which is real, and things happen and we're not sure and our minds are not at rest and we're uneasy, of all people, his children should know where to turn. And that true peace is only found in him. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. It's a different kind, totally, of peace. A peace that is not, listen, the storm can be raging and you're still at peace. The world can't give that. The world can't give that kind of peace. Are you looking for the kind of peace that will let you lay your head down at night? And sleep. I'm not saying are you looking for deliverance from all your problems. Are you looking to be financially free and have everything going the way you want it to go. And, and man life couldn't be any better. I'm going to sleep good. No I'm talking about you still have all the problems and issues and difficulties and trials. And still can lay your head down. Because I can leave them all with Jesus. Because he said cast all your care upon me. For I care for you. If you know him, can I tell you, you have access to that kind of peace that the world, listen, never, never could deliver. The world tries to satisfy. The world tries to give answers. The world tries to give peace. The world tries to give happiness. And lost 
people and sadly many people who claim to know Jesus as their Savior still scramble around tracing all the world's formulas and they run to the next fad and the next thing and the next book and this hot speaker that's come on the scene or preacher and one relationship maybe to a next is going to give happiness and peace is going to meet my needs and they're hoping they're going to one day find what they've been seeking and maybe they're going to immerse themselves in some career or some job or some hobby or they're going to try to by what they're lacking in their heart. And the truth is, woe unto them that go down to Egypt. It's not there. The answers aren't there. Happiness isn't there. The help for in your times of trouble isn't there. Peace is not there. The world is always going to come up short. It's never going to deliver. The religions of the world will never deliver. The universities will never deliver. The experts, the wisdom, the philosophers, the wealth, the pleasure. None of it is going to end up giving the promises that it's making. And verse 3 tells us exactly why. The Egyptians, they're men. Israel or Judah, you're looking at them and you think they really got it. They're just like you. They're men. And the horses, they're flesh. They're not spirit, they're flesh. And the Lord will stretch out his hand. And the one, the helper and the help E, they'll both fail. God says to his children, don't rely on the world. Don't trust in the world's might and the wisdom of the world. He says, I am God. I have the answers. I can give happiness. I can deliver you in times of trouble. I can give peace. And there are out there, out there, those voices that say, we'll help. We've got the answers. We've got the strength. We've got the power. But listen, God says, they're just men. They're like you. And they seem to have insight and they seem to have these deep sounding philosophies, but they're just men like you. They're not going to deliver happiness. They're just flesh like you. They're not going to deliver on their promises. Don't forget, he's saying God is greater than all the armies that Egypt could possibly muster. The nations, the wisdom of this world, God is greater. And he'll bring down the world in its wisdom. And it'll fail, according to verse 3. First John 2, for all that is in the world, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes of pride of life, is not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Think of that, all the Oprahs of the world, all that wisdom, it'll pass. The Dr. Phil's, the Joel Osteen's, the Darwin's, the Freud's, all will pass. All the religions, all the isms, it'll pass. All the philosophies, all the pleasures, all the lusts, all the sin, all the wealth, it'll pass. All the promises of peace, it'll all pass. All the world has to offer. All its armies, all its horses, all its chariots. He's saying, listen, they're no match for God. They must have forgot. They must have forgot their own history. What happened at the Red Sea? What happened at the Red Sea when those chariots and horses 
And they chased God's people through the Red Sea and the, uh, as Moses parted it. What happened? Had they forgotten that they were no match for the Holy One of Israel? And what about Barak and as he faced Sisera and Sisera with his 900 chariots of iron? What is that against God? Evidently nothing. Had they forgotten that the armies of God, are, the armies of man, are, no matter their number, are no match for God? As Gideon looked down on the thousands with his 300, and they blew trumpets, and every man killed each other. They forgot about the siege of Samaria. They forgot about Rahab and Jericho. They forgot all of their own history and how God had delivered regardless the size of the army and how God had given help and how God had done what God said he would do and they forgot their own history. One thing that about this passage that stands out is that God is offended. It's not just that there's not answers in the world. It's not just that the world can't help. Listen, Judah, you're not going to get help there. They have horses, chariots, armies. It doesn't matter. They're not going to be able to deliver. It's not just that. God is offended when his people need to find help and need answers and they seek it elsewhere. And let's all be honest with each other. We've all offended God. And we had a 911 situation. And before we got God and we sought Him and His direction and guidance, we tried every other avenue. God was offended because the world has nothing to offer God's children. And they has horses and chariots and armies, but they're no match for God. God will bring all that to fail. So who are you calling? And maybe even right now in your life, I don't know necessarily. I know some who are facing some pretty serious issues. But you have some needs, you have some problems. Or maybe you've been searching just for happiness and you've searched high and low. Or for real peace in your life. And you've searched everywhere except the one place where it can truly be found. Can I tell you that God is offended. Amen. He doesn't take that lightly. That offends him. He wants, to, he wants to be the first place you go when you need help. Amen. He wants to be the one that you call. He wants to be the place you go to seek happiness and joy and peace. He wants to be the one. Don't lose everything. Don't lose everything listening to the wrong voices. Right. Woe to them that go down to Egypt. It could be you're here this morning. You don't know Christ as your Savior. There's never been a time you've been born again. There's never been a time you've trusted Christ. Can I tell you, you can search all over. You can go in and out of religious systems and churches and baptistries and prayers and catechisms and all kinds of rigmarole, one end of this country to another. But real peace is only found with a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, you don't know peace. But you can. 
You can. You can come to him in a simple prayer of faith and call upon him to be your savior this morning. And you can know what we know as his children. Your greatest need could be met this morning. Real, lasting peace, eternity in heaven. Listen to this verse the psalmist gave us. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Who are you calling? Brother Ted, you don't know my problem's so big even, really? My problem's, my problem's even so big, really? There's another answer. Somebody else is going to pick that up. Oh, you don't understand this one. This one's too complicated. Really? Too complicated. God can't handle it. You got to go somewhere else. No. But happiness, I can't find. You're going to find happiness out in the world. Listen, thousands of years of human history have proved you won't. Peace, joy, happiness. You won't be finding anywhere. Now, this is really aimed at, at God's people at you and I. And if you don't know Christ this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. We invite you to come. We want to see you leave this place with your eternal destiny secure. And if you know him, and in some way this message has spoken to your heart, listen, would you not get right with him this morning? He's offended. He's offended when we don't go to him. He's offended when we don't call on him. He's offended when we seek answers and help and peace other places. Let's not offend God. Who are you calling? Would you bow with me in prayer? Before I pray, let me ask a couple questions. No one's looking. Heads are bowed. How many say, Brother Ted, I may not be everything I'm supposed to be, but I know that I'm saved. There was a time I trusted Christ as my Savior. I may not be what I'm supposed to be. I don't always do what I'm supposed to do. I know that, but I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. Would you raise your hand as a testimony to that? All over. Amen. Thank you. You can put your hands down. And I pray, I pray that this message meant something to you. Maybe you have sought answers. You have sought help. You have sought peace. You have sought happiness somewhere outside of him. It's not to be found. And not only that, he's offended. I'm just encouraging you and imploring you to look to him Look to him when you have a need. Look to him when you need happiness, even peace, joy. Something's come your way and you're not sure what to do. Don't make him the last place you look. Make him the first. How many would say, Brother Ted, I'm, I'm, I'm not saved. I don't know that if I die today, heaven would be my home. I'm not sure about my eternal security. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just questioning it. Uh, I don't know what would happen, but I'm concerned about it.
I'm concerned enough about it to just raise my hand so you can pray for me. I won't come talk to you. I just want to know who to pray for here in just a second. Is there one that say, pray for me, Brother Ted? I'm not sure about my salvation, but I'm concerned about it. Would you raise your hand so I could see? Yes, I see your hand. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Any others? Pray for me, Brother Ted. I'm not sure my salvation, but I'm concerned enough to raise my hand so you could pray for me. Any others? I've seen this one. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word. So many times as believers, we're tempted to seek answers to life's problems in places where it just simply won't be found. Maybe you've spoken to some hearts in that way. How offensive that we would look somewhere besides you for our problems and for help and for peace and for joy. How offended you must be when you have everything we need. Maybe you've spoken to hearts in that way. There was one that raised their hand. They're concerned about their eternal destiny. I told them I'd pray for them and I'm praying right now, Lord, you give them what they need to come forward. Come right here and let's take a Bible. Show them how they can receive Christ this morning and leave with their eternal destiny secure and that peace that only comes from you, a peace that passes all understanding and there may be others who didn't raise their hand and you've spoken to their hearts about their need of salvation or some other need. Lord, I pray that they would respond and come forward. We would pray with them. Lord, let us be a help to them. However you've spoken to hearts, would you have your way in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Brother Aaron is going to lead us in singing uh, Jesus Paid It All, 241, if you want to join us.